Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their life and financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to their journey of their vines and influences in the air that have helped craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palettes that should be celebrated and not judged. Today's guest is Dr. Barbara O'Neill. She is also a CFP and has plenty of credentials that will make you smile when you read them all. Dr. O'Neill is going to be speaking at the Financial Women's Conference on November 16th. We're so blessed to have her. She is a Rutgers Cooperative Extension Specialist in Financial Resource Management and the Extensions Leader for Personal Finance, Ask an Expert and Frequently Asked Questions resource. Hop on over to her website. I'm going to put information in her um, in our show notes, her Twitter link, her face, excuse me, her uh, website, and some information directly to some materials that she has helped produce. She has a ton of information that we have uncorked in this particular podcast of resources that you can go to. And being that her husband is from the area, she has mentioned some of her favorite wineries. So stay tuned, sit on back, grab your favorite glass of wine and listen on in. Remember, life is about events supported by your dollars and cents. You are listening to Wine and Dime, the podcast that combines two passions, wine and personal finance with your host, Amy Irvine. Amy is a certified financial planner and owner of Rooted Planning Group and author of Uncork Your Finances. You can learn more about Amy by heading over to the website, www.rootedpg.com. And now on to the show. Take it away, Amy. Hey, Barbara, thank you so much for being on the show. We so appreciate your time today. I'm glad to be here, Amy. Well, uh, I have to admit, I um, am so excited to have you on the show today for so many reasons. Number one is you're on the top list that I have of what I call money queens. (laughs) So (laughs) money queens are other women in the financial um, world that provide education, not just the fact that we provide it to clients that we work with, but we're more than that, right? We're, we're out there doing webinars and education and, um, really making sure that it's, it's put further. And you have done amazing work. If anybody Googles you, they're going to see so much wonderful information about you out there. In fact, 
teaching is at your core (laughs) more than anything. And I would just love to dig into your journey. But of course, before I do that, I would love to know, as we always talk about everybody having their own financial vineyard, if you actually uh, like wine and if you have a favorite wine in in general that you like to to drink. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm I'm very familiar with the um, Hammondsport Bath area um, because my husband's family is from that area and still lives there. So I've been on a lot of the winery tours of um, the vineyards <laughs> up in Hammondsport and um, up Cuco Lake there. And um, I'm more of a dry white person. Uh, so I like Pinot Grigios. I like Chardonnays. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm more into the, the drier wines than the sweeter ones. But I've been known to indulge in the sweet ones too. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite winery in the, uh, the region, the Finger Lakes region? Um, well, Bully Hill's always been a favorite, Pleasant Valley. Okay. I mean, there's quite a few sure. of them there on Fish Hatchery Road. And, yeah. Um, and then, of course, yeah. going up the, um, the hill from the lake there, too. So, quite a few. There is quite a few here to pick from. So, um, I'm, I'm going to take just a step back for one more second. Uh, you also amaze me at the number of credentials that you carry after your name, one being a PhD and then the CFP as well. And there are many, many others that, that you have after your, after your name and the, the education that you've spent so much time going after to make sure that what you're providing to the consumer is very important um, I would love to know what made you pick, what started this journey for you? How did you decide that you wanted to be a personal finance expert? At least in my opinion, you are. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I guess I, it's, it all started with 4-H. Uh, so I was involved in cooperative extension programming as um, a young person. I think I was like 10 years old when I joined 4-H. In New York State, and um, through 4-H, I became aware of Cooperative Extension, and um, I won some award trips, and uh, became more aware of what was then called family uh, um, home economics, and decided to study and get a four-year degree in, in home economics and education. And I actually um, taught home economics for two years in mm. Hammondsport Central School in the 1970s. Um, and then got my master's degree at Cornell and, and went on to work for Cooperative Extension here in New Jersey. So um, I guess you could say it's all because of 4-H. <laughs> I was a 4-H'er um, myself, so. <laughs> and originally I started out as kind of a generalist um, covering different areas of um, home economics as a county extension ag- agent and um Eventually, I specialized in personal finance and became the state specialist here in New Jersey. And you right now, um, so just to give the listeners a little bit more background, I actually was at a a financial podcast, financial, it's called FinCon. So it's for Mm -hmm. bloggers, podcasters, that kind of thing. And um, I saw you sitting in the room and I'm like, I'm pretty sure 
<laughs> that is one of our keynote speakers for the Financial Women's Conference. I'm pretty sure that's her. And you had asked a question. And when I heard your voice, I instantly knew. Like, I, it's just one of those moments because I've listened to so much of your education that you do. Um, there's a lot that y- you do for webinars and for f- for through uh, Cooperative Extension or through the Extension. There's a lot that you do out there that's that's just available to anybody who wants to listen to it. And that's the one thing that I think about when I think about financial education, people are so thirsty for it. And by doing some of the stuff that you're doing, it's, it's available. I'm not sure people know always where to go to get the information, Mm -hmm. but you do a lot of public education is that was that something that you were passionate about right from the get go, or was it more that you found the need for it and just started doing more and more of it? Well, I think if you work in cooperative extension, as I do, um, that's what we do. We're all about public education because what we want to try to do is bring research based information to people in in their communities. Uh, but again, it all started with 4-H because mm-hmm. having been in 4-H yourself, you know that you had to do public presentations. Yes. And you had to get up there and um, explain something or make something. And so all of those um, formative experiences are really important. In fact, I, I judge 4-H presentations to this day, and I always tell the, the young people there that they have done something that it's on the list of if not the top thing that people are afraid of, it's it's mm-hmm. it's up there on the top is um, public speaking. So yeah. they get that grounding when they're you know young and in grade school or um, high school they go on to, uh, and that's really important. So I think I always felt comfortable making presentations because of those early experiences. But then, um, of course, if if you work in a job that involves education, you're, you're going to be out there constantly educating people and motivating them because it's not all just teaching. It's it, a lot of it is just coaching and mm-hmm. helping people see possibilities and think through alternatives. That's really important too. The the thing that I, I read some bio about you that was even more impressive when I was doing some research and I, I, the number stood out to me that you have done at this, at the point that this bio was written, over 1,100 classes for over 24,000 adult learners, um, which yeah. is a staggering number. Well, that was when me. I was, most of that was um, in, in the first 26 years of my career because I was based in a county kind of doing a similar job to what uh, Nancy Regensberger does in, in um, Student County in New York. That's a large number. Yeah, that's a lot of classes, <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> Exactly. So you said that was in the first 26 years. Tell us, so you, you developed a path, you mean you, you've been doing it for at least that long and have clearly developed a passion for continuing your education on it. Because when I look at some of the um, credentials that you have, some of the designations that you've earned, you've continued to explore in this particular field and obtain these designations. There's a passion for that. That, that doesn't come just because you decide, you know, this, this is something that you have a strong passion for. What, what do you, what do you think drove you to have a passion for this? Well, 
I think it's just interest in the subject matter. And of course, it's one of the few things that you can teach and live at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about mm-hmm. so many things that people might teach, you know, like not to say anything bad about math teachers, but if you teach geometry, I don't know that you're always using geometry uh, every day, mm-hmm. but, you know, if you're teaching the things that um, people in cooperative extension have tended to teach, like life skills, whether it's food and nutrition mm-hmm. or personal finance, um, those are skills that you use every day. So, um, you know, I, did, I just got very interested in the subject matter, and then, of course, you try to live what you teach too and walk your walk your talk so to speak uh, and, and that was important too well I think you know a lot of I don't know about you but um, I think one of the important things about being a money queen as I deem it is that it sort of sets the example for other women that money doesn't have to be scary or investing doesn't have to be scary. When we see people like you and Jean Chatsky and other prominent women in the finance world, we see them providing a lot of the education and we believe that we can do it too because other women are doing it. Have you ever had um, conversations with other women about that? Has that ever come up? Oh, yeah, all the time. I mean, back in the day, we, we used to do a series of classes called the Women's Financial Information Program, and it was six, and then we expanded it to seven, and then we had class reunions, so we were doing like eight, nine, ten classes where people really bonded and came together, and um, we explored a whole bunch of uh, topics, and um that was a program that was originally started by AARP, and then they, they gave it up. And that was when my colleague and I decided to write the book, Money Talk, A Financial Guide for Women, because mm-hmm. we needed to have um, something for the class to replace the materials that um, AARP was no longer making available. And that, that led to our book, and um, you're going to have some copies of the book available at your your Yay. conference that will be door prizes, <laughs> I understand. And yes. um so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just one thing built on another, and then we, we built some PowerPoint presentations around it, too, and everything. So, um, yeah, it, it's very important to get um, information out to people, but also just to, to coach people. And like I said before, just make people think that they can succeed. So what I often do when I'm doing presentations, I don't do as many as I used to do in, in public, but I just still do some is you know, trying to encourage people mm-hmm. to think about the places in their life where they have succeeded. Um, you know, maybe they're in some trouble with their finances, but they're a really good mother or they're a really good mm-hmm. community volunteer or wh- whatever. And, um, and then just try to think about, okay, well, what are some of the things that made you successful in that aspect of your life that you can kind of carry over um, to improving your finances? And then I'm a really big, big, believer in small mm-hmm. steps too. So another one of my books is called Small Steps to Health and Wealth. And that's where we really encourage people to um, do anything small, even if it's just putting change in a jar. Or these days, a lot of young adults don't um, make much change because they're swiping debit cards. So then you can do one of those roundup <laughs> things, uh, like acorns where you round up. Mm-hmm. You know, so you don't get the change back yep. anymore because you're not yep. using money but you can still end up to um, the next dollar and have the app save the money for you. 
so that's, you know, that's, those are all good things to do small steps just to, to make some progress or even just notching up your 401k contribution 1% more next year versus what we did this year. All those steps can really mm-hmm. add up over time. And no, and no step is too small. And um, what we learned with WFIP, that the program, um, was that women are empowered to talk more about their finances in a group of just women. Or <laughs> uh, sometimes when you have, mm-hmm. you know, a mixed group, sometimes men take over the conversation, take it to a higher level that people feel comfortable with, and then the, the women kind of shut down. So um, we had some really good experiences just having women only um, groups just like you're having with your conference uh, in Steuben County. Uh, what we have found is the exact same thing you were just saying is that at that conference, so this is the sixth year that we're doing it. And at mm-hmm. that conference, people raise their hands. We run out of time because so many people are raising their hands and asking questions and not feeling judged. Mm-hmm. And That's why we created it, right? Was to create that warm environment. And I have to chuckle because um, that AARP book that you're talking about, you remember the book that was created out of that program. I have one of those. I actually have one. And um, it it must have been one of the, I don't remember what year it was that I got it, but I, um, I came across it. So it was early 2000s, late 1990s in that time frame, but I I'm came across 90s, it. And, yeah. Yeah. Came across it. And I've always held on to that book. And a few years ago, when I first approached Nancy Regelsberger with this idea of creating this conference, and I said, you know, in my practice and in, in as a financial planner, I kept hearing the same statement from women that this stuff was very scary to them. And I'm like, we've got to do something about this. These these are smart women, like really intelligent women, educated women, and and they shouldn't be scared by this stuff. So we need to get the word out there, not just with the clients that I'm working about, but with the general public. So I pulled that book off the shelf and was so disappointed that I couldn't get it anymore. <laughs> but it was we looked through that book to design the very first class that we did or the very first program that we did. And so even way, you know, way back when I first found that book, I never thought that I would use it for that kind of reason, but I knew that there was, that was a nugget that I had found and I've continued to retain that. So six years ago, some of the work that you did was what helped oh, us start great. this conference <laughs> or the, at least the, the line, you know, the outline of it. Cause what do you, what do you talk to? Like, I, you know, there were so many things that I wanted to share. How do you lay it out there without overwhelming somebody? Um, so uh, we were thrilled when Nancy reached out to you and asked you if you would mind, if you would be willing to speak at this year's conference. And you said, <laughs> sure, I'll zoom in. And, uh, participate in the conference. So we're thrilled to having you zoomed in. Do you want to give just a, a quick uh, teaser as to what you're going to be talking about at the conference? Sure. Uh, so the title of my presentation, I have about a half an hour, is Financial Action Steps for um, Different Stages of Life. 
So I'm going to kind of go through decades and I'll kind of tell people that eventually I'll get to their decade. And while I'm talking about people at different other ages, they can be thinking about their children or their grandchildren or their parents or their grandparents. And so what we'll do is just um, talk a little bit about generations in general very quickly. And then we'll get into different tasks for people in different decades of life. So things that you should be doing in your 20s, 30s, 40s. 50s, I go up to 60s, and then I'll talk about different benchmarks that people should reach by different ages. For example, by age 30, you should be financially independent from your parents. So you should have independent <laughs> living arrangements, not getting any subsidies for you know, cell phones or whatever else, you know, that sort of thing. You should have most of your student loans should be paid off by age 30 because Typically, there are 10-year payoff periods, so if you started in 22, mm -hmm. you'd be done by 32. Um, and then you want to have your credit history established. So I'll go through different benchmarks for each um, decade of life as to where um, people should be and um, some of the research behind that. And um, that's pretty much it that we'll be able to cover in a half an hour. And um, I, as I understand that people will be getting a copy of the, the handouts and they'll also be available on your website as well that uh, people can access that Correct. later if they want to review the information. But it's, it's just basically designed to give people kind of an overview of different things to be thinking about at different stages of their life. And hopefully it'll also um, open up some conversations among family members because one of the things that I talk about is um, a thing to be thinking about in your 40s is to talk with your parents about their finances because if you're in your let's say mid 40s maybe your parents are in their mid 70s and um, that's where it becomes really important to have some conversations around um, estate planning and uh, transferring untitled property and all of those decisions that sometimes become the elephant in the room that people don't talk about. That is actually going to play really well into one of the things that I'm going to be talking about um, because we're going to be walking through some discussions about some of its healthcare costs, but some of it's also conversations around when should driver's license be surrendered. And a lot of people, you know, that that's a big topic of discussion. That's a very big portion of angst among many people my age and in, in <laughs> approaching 50 um, you know when is it when is it time to have that conversation so even though people don't necessarily think of that as a financial conversation it can be um, there could be liability issues if we don't have those conversations early um, power of attorney healthcare proxy all of those kinds of things what do people want as they age you know, we want to, we talk about aging in place, right? But we need to start having those conversations when people are willing to start talking about it and they're not being pressed to mm -hmm. talk about it. So yeah. it's easy. It's easy for us to sit here and have that conversation. If I asked you a bunch of questions right now about, you know, when should your driver's license be taken away? You're going to have a lucid, a great conversation about, well, if I start doing this or I start doing that, you know, I probably should, should probably be questioned, or at least I should have a convert. My kids should have a conversation with me. Sure. Yeah. You and I can have that conversation right now, but when it comes time for the driver's license to actually be pulled from you, wouldn't it be great if there was a document that 
your kids could pull out and be able to say, mom, remember when we had this conversation and you're starting to show these signs, Mm -hmm. that's still not going to make it an easier conversation, but at least it was something you came up with and your kids aren't doing it at that time. Right. Yeah. Well, you know what we used to tell people when we did the uh, WFIP program is just blame the class. You know, so you, you could do that with your conference too and just, you know, tell people, well, you know, you don't have to just bring up the conversation abruptly. You could say, well, I was just at this program in Student County Women's Conference yeah. and they were discussing such and such. And, you know, that's sometimes a little bit easier way to um, kind of entree yeah. into, a, into a topic uh, for sure. Uh, but yeah, those are yeah. important issues that, that people need to need to talk about. And I think, you know, with, with the case of the drying, I think a really good thing to have prepared ahead of time um, before you open up that conversation is um, do some explore, exploration on resources. Because if somebody truly yeah, does yeah. surrender their license, how are they going to get food? Mm-hmm. How are they going to get the doctor's office? So I yeah. think before somebody broaches something that's a pretty drastic step, make sure you've investigated how you're going to put into place the options, options. and the safety net to um, continue and sometimes that's hard in rural areas. Stupid County's a big county. Um, yeah, very hard. So, yeah, we're very dependent upon transportation here. I mean, you know, cars driving. Not we don't right. have a lot of public so, transportation. Um, people kind of need to explore. Uh, but you know, you were talking about cost issues. I mean, that will be a cost issue too, as well. Not just the accidents mm-hmm. that somebody might have if they. Um, aren't driving properly, yep. but also um, they're going to need to be paying for taxis or buses or right. um, somebody to um, take them places that they would have gone to on their own. Yeah, and even the other end, you talked about like the thirty and you know thirty year old. I have um, it, people have said to me, you know, we do financial planning for multiple generations and. And people will ask me, well, what financial, what sort of financial planning do you do for a 30 year old? I'm like, oh my gosh, 30 year olds are, <laughs> they're buying houses, they're having babies, they're changing jobs, they're, <laughs> you know, they're enrolling in benefit packages at their companies, they're starting businesses, they're student loans that we are often talking to them about. So the list of things that we talk about to people in their 30s is quite lengthy. Not that we're, and if, if they are having kids, we're talking to them about estate planning, you know, for custodial issues as well as life insurance. And there's like this long list of things that we talk to people about in their 30s, just as much as we talk to people about in their 50s mm-hmm. and 60s. It's just that it's maybe not so much investment driven, but it's still really important planning topics. And, um, one of the things that I, uh, read that you had authored was a book about investing for your future. I think you co-authored it, if I remember correctly. Um, and, and in that book, um, there was there were some really good tips. That, so it's not just about investing. Like when we think about typical investing, this is about, this is so much broader. I was curious, um, what drove you to write that book? That was one of the questions that I oh. had. Um, was there... A particular yeah, situation was. that um, we know. had done a program called mm-hmm. Money 2000 from 1996 through the end of 1999. So it was um, five years, and we encouraged people to um, save two thousand dollars by the end of the year 2000. 
and or you know, but by the time we got to the year 2000, because remember Y2K was a big thing, right? And everybody, everybody was mm-hmm. setting goals for Y2K, so we want, <laughs> we gave people five years, you know, encouraged them to save or reduce debt, and then we tracked in with people every six months to see how they were doing, and and then we were having programs that kind of wrapped around Money 2000 to encourage people. And so people started telling us, and of course, the other thing that happened in the same time we were doing Money 2000 was one of the greatest bull markets in the history of the stock market, the late 1990s. So that, plus the fact that people had started saving, they just asked us, they said, can you get on investing? Because we had already convinced them to save. The markets were doing so well at the time. And so that's why we, that's how we created Investing for Your Future, is for people who wanted to um dip their toe into investing. And I think that's an important topic for everybody. That seems to be the scary side of things. I mean, some of the stuff that we talk to people about, they just don't know about, but they're scared of investing. And there were two other, um, if I remember correctly, saving on a shoestring. Is that correct? That, that was Mm -hmm. a really, to me, that was a great book. And then investing on a shoestring, I think followed that. And both of them, again, they talk about investing from a standpoint of understanding what the scary things are, but there's life skills. I think that you can um, learn from reading those books because both of them are talking about if you don't have a lot of money, you can still save, you can still invest. And that's where I think financial planning for those younger individuals really comes into play because they do have a lot of, you know, um, challenges being tossed at them from different angles. And I shouldn't just say younger, everybody does, but that demographic really, you know, they've got some big payments that they're making with a mortgage and a car and a, um, student loans and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, is there, was there any particular drive in those books? Was there somebody that you were thinking of, or it's just something that you heard a lot of people say, and that's what drove you to wrote the, write those books? Um, well, I think with all the books, but particularly the two shoestring books, it was, um, well, I was kind of living it myself at the time because I was younger than I am now when I wrote those books. That was back in the 90s. And they're still good. Um, they're still and good. Most <laughs> people that I was teaching uh, were people who um, had very middle class incomes. So, I mean, with cooperative extension, we always try to meet people where they are. And um, people had a lot of challenges and, and not a whole lot of money. So the shoestring concept just kind of seemed pretty natural to follow through with investing as I had done with saving is, is people were just saying, oh, I, I need to get started somewhere. Uh, I don't have a lot of money. What can I do? And so I think it was just writing with all of the experiences of the people that I was um, counseling, because I did financial counseling um, mm-hmm. when I worked in the county position. And, um, you know, that I think that always informed me uh, to, to keep things simple and to keep things um, at options that would be realistic for people with small dollar amounts. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I never wrote about options or features or anything like that. But most people don't want to know about that. They want to know, (laughs) how do I take what little I have left? And like you said, now there's programs out there like Acorn and Robinhood and those kinds of programs that actually help people do that just by nature. But but in the 90s, there wasn't. I mean, you still had to go through a broker 
in the nineties to place a trade on a security that's gone, right? That's, that's done. Um, so yeah, I, but I think the concepts that you wrote about are really important. And so, you know, just kind of putting a little bit of a plug in from that perspective, because I do hear a lot of people say it's scary, number one, and I don't even know where to start, number two. And I think those books really do give some good guidance and advice on on, the, on both of those mm-hmm. particular topics. Um, so I want to shift gears just a little bit. Uh, I believe you have a couple of children. Is that no, correct? No, I don't. Oh, I thought I had read that you had a, a couple of daughters. Okay. So so your children are 20, 24,000 people that you've provided <laughs> education to. <laughs> okay. Um, I was going to ask uh, if you, you know, what, even with outside the, you know, with your family, have you tried over the years to engage young children in the learning of finances and money? Well, I mean, I, I teach a course here at Rutgers for personal finance. In fact, I just had a class today. And um, so they're not young, young, but they're um, juniors and seniors in college. So I've been teaching a personal finance course for for many years. And of course, when I was working in the county position, I would work more with um, high school students and then sometimes be a guest speaker in, in, in that. Thing. I, I've been a guest reader for a group project, Self-Sufficiency, which is a, they have this little spouse daycare center where I've actually read um, some books to young kids. Uh, there's that one great book called Alexander, who used to be rich last Saturday or something, Sunday, I guess it was. And it's about this kid who, who gets a dollar and then has all these temptations come along and kind of spends his money and didn't get to save any of it and everything. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've done some work with um, youth and most of my work that I do now is um, providing for professional development for teachers who work with um, young people. So I don't do it directly, but I, I, I do professional development for teachers. And I just did a um, presentation the other day, actually, for family and consumer scientists here in New Jersey talking about games to teach personal finance in, in schools, because there's a lot of great games out there now that can really engage their senses and, um, you know, motivate students to want to learn. It's, it's not as dry a topic if you can create a game around it and uh, get kids working in teams to kind of win the game. Um, and I think if I remember correctly, did I see that you were connected with Sammy, um, the, um, Sammy the um, Rabbit? Yeah, Sammy the Rabbit, yeah. Well, I'm not really connected, but I know who he is. I know okay. the creator of that program, Sam Resident. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's another great way to engage um, the real young ones. Uh, Sammy is this big rabbit character that comes to schools and does, you know, assemblies and everything. And, again, it's all about promoting um, good money management choices and saving money. Yeah, he was on, I can't remember what podcast it was that we had him. We, um, because the, we do a lot with, um, the, the coloring books that, that, you know, that's part of the education behind it for the younger ones Mm -hmm. with some of his workbooks and coloring books. And so I wanted to, you know, parents are always asking me, how do I get my kids engaged with money? So I ordered a bunch of his coloring books to try to, you know, get them, um, 
engaged that way. And so I wanted, I did a podcast with him and it was, he was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't imagine what he's like live, but I thought I had seen that you were either with him, you did a program with him or there was some sort of uh, conversation or something around it with him. And, um, and he, he does some, like, I love the work that they're doing. And I love the fact that there's great material. Cause yeah, I don't remember what it was like to talk to <laughs> young kids. And so little kids like that about money. So the work, the um, coloring book is a great resource mm-hmm. that people can, can have as well. And so if anybody wants one, just let us know. We'll just send it to you. Um, so, yeah, I guess just shifting gears a, a tad bit. What I love to do um, with every guest that I have on the show um, and again, I just want to say one more time. I know I said it a couple of times, but I do so appreciate the fact that you're taking time out of your day to be a guest and that you're taking time out of your day to be uh, on part of the Women's Financial Conference and that you donated some books. We're thrilled that you're involved in that way. You do a lot of education for those of us that are financial planners, uh, CFPs like yourself, right? Um, and we... Um, we so appreciate all the work that you're doing to, to kind of further it from that perspective. But I love to ask people two questions sort of in closing. And one, when you're doing all of that, so, so you're so involved, you're so out there, you're so providing education to everybody else. What do you actually define as success, however? Because we all have our own different one. I, I just, I would love to know what your definition is. Definition of financial success? Just success in general. Success in general. I think you're successful when um, your peers thank you and recognize you for the work that you're doing. Um, I'm, I'm going to be leaving my position at, at Rutgers uh, at the end of the year, and I just had a colleague stop by this morning and just said, you know, you did great work. And I think that's, you know, I think that's the accolades um, when I worked directly in the community, it, it was also another great evidence of success was somebody who came back, somebody who had been in a, in a program and came back and um, told me that acted on information that I provided and then it made a difference in their life. And I had many instances like that. I had one story that I always tell where I did a, a two-week class for um, – an agency that serves single parents. And so, you know, women who didn't have a lot of money and I encouraged them to try to do whatever they could to save between the first class and the second class a week later. And I said, anything, any savings is better than none. And I said, I suggested, you know, try to do um, change. People say it changed more back then than they do now. And I said, if you can do a dollar a day plus change, that would be even better. Maybe not even every day, but some days, you know, even one day. And I had a woman come the next week and she just made a beeline through the door for me and came right up to me and said, you'll never guess what I did. And I said, I don't know what you do. And she said, I saved $11. And it wasn't the money. I mean, $11 is not a lot of money, but it was just the empowerment and the confidence that she had, that she had been able to save money that she had never been able to do before. So I think that's how I define success is when the work that I've done, whether it's teaching a class or writing a book or um, speaking at your conference or whatever, if, if that makes a difference in the lives of just one person or hopefully many, um, 
that is success to me. I, w- I wonder, is there one particular tip that you've given to people that have listened to your education sessions that repeatedly people have come back and said, oh my gosh, thank you so much for that bit of information? Well, it's, I mean, there's probably a lot of ones that you hear a lot, like pay yourself first and you know, that's, you know, I can't claim to have that be an original one. I, I, I guess I would just say small steps matter, you know, do anything. I, 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 I tweet a lot. My Twitter handle is at money talk one, M O N E Y T A L K and the number one. And what I always put out every weekend is some suggested weekend action steps. And one of them is just to learn one new thing every day about personal finance. Oh, that's a- Great. Very empowering. You know, just making a point to to learn one new thing, whether it's, you know, going to a website, listen to a podcast such as yours, um, reading an article, doesn't matter what it is. Um, but just making a point to learn one new thing every day, um, that can be very empowering because you know, knowledge is power, but if, if you start doing this every day and maybe you see some articles about the same thing and each one reinforces the other. Uh, that can be very powerful. And it doesn't need to take more than five minutes to find something new and read an article. That's a great point. One new thing every day. It, the, just those baby steps make a world of difference. And it doesn't seem as overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so is there a favorite book that you have that you refer to people to help them with that task? Well, I'm having my students read um, Beth Kubliner's book, Get a Financial Life, uh, which I think is very good for people in their 20s and 30s. So for the younger women that will be attending um, your conference, I I would recommend that one. Um, The Automatic Millionaire is very good. The the discussion of all the different ways that you can automate your finances. There's some classics like... um, the Wealthy Barber and um, the Millionaire Next Door uh, that are also, you know, classics just from the standpoint of, of talking about wealth building. Uh, so that's another good one. Um, you can't go wrong with some of the dummies books. <laughs> just organize that the information is distinct and, um, you know, you, you're not getting a whole lot of detail, but you're getting the essentials of what you need to know. And of course, I'm very proud of my money talk book that I wrote with my colleague, Pat Brennan, uh, for women. And um, while there aren't any more books available after your conference, because the publisher went out of business, uh, the book is online. Um, People can find find it online um, through my blog and, um, you know, get, get the PDF of the pages that would in the printed book. And, so, and that, the so, name of that book is called Money Talk, A Financial Guide for Women and Small Steps to Health and Wealth, correct? Yeah, those are two of yep. my books. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the final question is, boy, you know, you are a busy woman and a lot of our listeners are also busy women. And sure. I would love to know, what do you do to just feed your soul to, to get back to center when you've been running, 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 going every which direction, um, and then just need to heal. 
Well, exercise. I mean, I, I wear a pedometer. I try to get 10,000 steps a day. And I find that exercise is, uh, and I, I just mean walking. I, I, have, you know, I used to have treadmill, but uh, just on my house, so I don't have my treadmill anymore. But um, yeah, I mean, physical activity is important. Um, good nutrition and health is important. I was just working on a webinar today um, with some of the, re- uh, it's that uh, personal finance year and review webinar that I do every year and uh, looking at some of the research and they just found, there was a big study that came out this year that um, good physical health habits are associated with less risk of dementia. Um, but you know, all the things that the nutrition experts are recommending that are good for your heart are also good for your brain, apparently. And so I think, you know, taking care of yourself is, is really important. I try to do that. Um, and, um, you know, just I have a good relationship with my husband. And I mean, that's important, too. I mean, social relationships as well. Um, you know, one of the things we, we do in classes is this wellness wheel. I don't know if you've ever seen it where it looks like a pizza pie. and got all the different aspects of a person's wellness. So you've got their physical health and their financial health and their career and their, even their fun and their relationships. And, and people kind of rate themselves from zero to 10 as to the wealth, their um, wellness in these areas. And if you were a totally well-rounded person, which of course nobody is, all your dots would be a, a circle. But, you know, some people might be like a, a 10 and something and a three or, well, they're two, four, six, eight, and 10. So like maybe a four and something else. And so it looks more like a flat tire than a rounded circle. And um, so, you know, sometimes when I, I, I look at that, the guy, I got to work more on that part of the wellness wheel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I try to do a little bit of that too. But um, I, I guess I try to, you know, dovetail to, you know, if, if I'm doing physical activity, I'm watching television at the same time. So yeah. to, um, multitask a little bit. Um, I, I have a hard time ironing my clothes, but give me a glass oh. of wine and a good movie and I'm perfectly fine. Oh yeah, well, I agree. I, I would never just iron the iron. I was I would always have television. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't watch a lot of TV, but Forensic Files is one of my favorite shows ever. I, I love that show. So you know, I can iron like no tomorrow as long as I have you know that show going or something similar to that. I'm very big on anything mm-hmm. that's kind of mystery driven, but. Um, well, Barbara, thank you so much for being on the show today. We look forward to having you at the event on November 16th. For anybody that's interested, we're going to put in the show notes a link to register. We're, today, um, we're going to be releasing this podcast. There'll be about two weeks left to actually register. Uh, we'd be very excited to have you all attend. And we're just so thrilled to have such great speakers like you participate in our event. And I know you've been a big advocate of what we're doing and we so appreciate that as well. And we look forward to seeing you there. Okay. I look forward to being there virtually. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Nourish Your Vine section of the podcast, where we take just a few minutes to answer some of your questions. Joining me for the section today is Kate Welker. Welcome to the show, Kate. Hi, Amy. It's good to be back again today. 
So we're getting towards the end of the year. What kind of questions do you have being tossed at you? So the question I wanted to talk about today is what should small business owners be doing as the end of the year approaches? Oh, we are getting a lot of questions around that. And what advice are you giving them? The first piece of advice I would say is to make sure that your bookkeeping is in order. I know a lot of people tend to put it off and wait or bring in the pile of receipts in January, but save yourself the headache because you're not going to be able to do some of the other important things as the end of the year approaches if you don't know where you're at right now. What kind of, when you say get organized, what do you mean by that? What are, what's most important? Like if I only have a limited amount of time to get organized, what do I need to do? The priority I would say is to track your income so far year to date and your expenses. And even when I say expenses, if it can't be broken down into the nitty gritty subcategories, a general overview of where your money's been going in your business this year. And how quickly can people actually get their tax documents ready for you for small businesses as compared to like the average working W-2 employee? It's going to take more time. Um, trying to think of a good time frame. It, it, I, you know, honestly, if you're going throughout the year and spent an hour or so each month, it would be easier. But if you sat down and spent three to four hours at one sitting, if you were really unorganized, you'd have a really good picture of where you're at. Or contact a tax professional who would be happy to help you walk through getting those organized. Any other tips that you would give to people around that topic? So once you have an idea of where you're at, or if you are one of those people who keep an eye on your books year to date, would just be taking, set aside an hour, hour and a half, two hours, somewhere in that range coming up here in November to take a good look at where you're at year to date. It's a good time to do some tax planning, tax projections, and even start on your budgeting for next year so that you might be able to help those tax projections by knowing what's coming up in the future. Yeah, that's really important, especially because once we get to December 31st, you can't go back. You can't. Right? And, so. and the time coming up is going to be so busy with everyone's holiday schedules that sometimes it's hard to take the time to fit in. Any other final tips that you have for small business owners? My last little piece would just be to remember to think of your own wellness as we head into the holiday season. I know that some businesses, it's a good time to take a step back and break and enjoy the families. But for other business owners, it's a really busy time, especially if they're in retail or service industries. So just kind of make sure you're balancing your own wellness and personal finances with the business side. Some deep breaths is what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. <laughs> Take some time to enjoy the moment of the holidays and know that January 1st, you can get right back on track. That's it. Thanks for your tips, Kate. And uh, if anybody has any questions, you can reach out to Kate at kateatrootedpg.com. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.